0: that, Houston. All systems 5
1: by 5 But what if there is no
0: tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Get away from her, you bitch! Divorce. I'm Batman. Do. No. or oh, do not. There is no tomorrow. Welcome to the NerdFest podcast. Today we've got...
1: Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, John Farman,
0: and I'm Hazel Pearson. On the show today, we've got some brand new nerdy recommendations for you, and we're going to be talking about some of the films that are coming up in 2019 that we're all really looking forward to. We've also got a quiz by Dan. Dan, do you want to give a tantalising hint as to what your quiz is?
1: I am going to be doing a quiz based on my recommendation this episode. Well, that was no help. I know. (laughs) I just thought I'd be introducing the notion of the quiz after I'd recommended the thing.
0: Okay, well, personally, I think we should uh, start the show. I disagree. (laughs) So it's time for our recommendations. So we're going to be talking about stuff that we have watched or read um, or enjoyed recently. John, what have you been up to?
2: I've been going Netflixing again. Oh, no. God. (sighs) And I have watched the recent straight-to-Netflix film The Perfection. Now, this actually, I think it got some promo when it was released. It didn't just slide on there like the utter crap does.
3: You do know what the word recommends means, don't you, John?
0: I, I it's a kind
2: of a recommendation.
0: Sounds like the perfection is going to be ironic.
2: Yes, <laughs> the, the the distinctly average <laughs> isn't uh, that much of a sell as a title. So, the perfection is a horror thriller drama not quite sure what it is, all mixed together in a pot. The plot, such as it is, is a cellist, cello player, celloist? Cellist. Cellist returns to her teacher after a long absence to look after her sick mother, although it's heavily implied that she spent quite a lot of time in an asylum during this period. So she returns after 10 years for an audition for some new junior cellists, And as she is there, cellists. I'm going to say say players of the cello. She
1: sells cellists. She sells cellists
2: by the chill shop. (laughs) (laughs) And she's there with a teacher and there is a new prodigy who is a a woman a few years younger who is an even better player of the cello than she is. Drama. They get together (laughs) in a terribly shot 90s lesbian erotica straight to video Erotic filler sex scene.
0: Was this your dream last night, John? Yeah, well, this <laughs> was my dream last night. I mean, I mean, if, if you you know
2: if you want to spaff one off, but you're too ashamed to watch proper porn, <laughs> there's a good five minutes in the, in the uh, first uh, third.
0: Uh, put I, a jello's in there for a little bit of culture.
2: Yeah, and you have a low threshold for porn, obviously. Yes, yeah. Um, it's above the lingerie section of the <laughs> 1980s Clark's catalogue, but below. <laughs> What you'd find on the web. Clark's catalogue, that's shoes. Oh, that's why. (laughs) (laughs) That explains it That explains (laughs) so much. Uh, That's why I'm I'm banned from Sports Direct. Is that why we have to take
1: our shoes off every time we come inside? Yes. (laughs) It's
2: it's not been raining here. Why are they damp inside? (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, so there's some soft, soft soft core fumblings. The sort of quality that in a 1980s video, it would have gone a bit wobbly at that point because you'd rewound it to watch it four or five times. <laughs> yeah, okay. that, that kind of quality. Mm-hmm. Um, the next morning, the younger player of the cello starts feeling <laughs> sick. Um, strange things happen. There's twists. Then you realise you're probably not watching the film you thought you were watching. And then there's another twist and you realise you're not watching the film you thought you were watching the second time. But maybe you weren't watching the film you thought you were maybe watching. Maybe I just switched channels out now, but unfortunately <laughs> the second twist, you realise that the film that you're watching is less interesting than the film you thought you were watching.
1: Did they turn out to be violins? <laughs> they were tubers all along.
2: <gasps> maybe because it's in the classical music world, but also in terms of, sort of some of the imagery and the, the surrealism and the relationship between the two women. It's a bit Black Swan. Hmm. It's very camp, in like it's sort of over the top, and in that respect, and also in the twists and the turns, it reminded me of. Does anyone remember Wild Things, the late nineties yep. thriller with Denise Welsh and Bill? Murray. Not Denise Welsh, Denise Richards. Denise Richards. That would be very different. <laughs> that would be yeah. That would not be a wobbly VHS moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's there's enough in there to keep you interested for ninety minutes. It's a load of old nonsense that falls apart the moment you think about it. The performances and the acting are not great. There's some very wooden performances. The woman that's in it is the girlfriend in Get Out. Oh, yeah. And I think she was in Girls as well. Is that mm-hmm.
0: right?
2: Yeah. It's a performance hewn out of the best piece of plywood.
0: <clears throat> it's
2: kind of quite fun and light-hearted like, and Camp. But then there's one or two moments where there's just a really nasty undertone to it that just jars and leaves an unpleasant taste in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should
3: be licking the video. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I did, yes. <laughs> uh, the last shot is completely ridiculous, but it's it's a fun watch. You'd be entertained. You'd be twisted if you've got ninety minutes or so to kill on a Friday night, and you just randomly going round Netflix to see what's new. You could do worse, but not much worse. <laughs> but not Probably. not much worse. No. <laughs> It's what Netflix are doing quite a lot of actually. Not quite the straight-to-video, but what you've lost recently in cinema is that kind of twenty million dollar film—the thing mm-hmm. that Sony Classics would have done or Fox Two Thousand, you know, where you've got a couple of recognizable actors and it's quite a quirky plot, kind of independent film, but with a budget. Mm-hmm. And it feels at the moment that everything in the cinema is either very very cheap, experimental in your local independent cinema or really, really expensive. It feels that, that sort of...
3: Well, I think that's because it's hard to get people to go out to the cinema yeah. unless it's for a big event thing. Mm-hmm. This, this must be the reason it's happening.
2: Yeah, I would imagine something like The Usual Suspects might have gone straight to Netflix. I'm not saying it's anywhere near as good as The Usual Suspects, but it's in that tradition of a low-budget genre film but with an interesting twist and a slightly indie to it. So I've probably recommended it more than I thought I would when I started talking. <laughs> Uh, it's, yeah.
3: You talked yourself into I've it. Ta- I've talked myself
2: <laughs> into it. Are <laughs> the rest of you going to watch it? Yep.
0: Nope.
1: nope.
0: Dan, have you got one to recommend?
1: I do. I've got a new recommendation for the Nerdfest bookshelf. Uh, this is a book I read over the course of the week leading up to this recording, finished it about an hour before I came here, and I would read it again instantly. Mm-hmm. It's called Wild and Crazy Guys by Nick DeSemlin, who is a writer for Empire Magazine and it's subtitled How the Comedy Mavericks of the 80s Changed Hollywood Forever. So it's the story of eight stars of comedy movies in the 1980s. Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Bill Murray, who uh, sits in portrait form above us in our recording room today. (laughs)
3: Yes, he
0: does. Um,
1: Rick Moranis, John Candy and Eddie Murphy.
3: All right, so a lot of Saturday Night Live alumni Mm -hmm. in there.
1: Yeah, so... The majority of them got started on Saturday Night Live. John Candy and Rick Moranis started on SCTV in Canada, and then Steve Martin was already quite a famous stand-up comedian before Saturday Night Live was really a thing. He went on to host it, I think, 15 times or something like that. But the majority of them came from these two sketch shows, started getting movie deals, which really kicked off with Animal House with John Belushi, which was a huge hit that got Bill Murray into Stripes and Caddyshack with Chevy Chase, and they slowly started building up and building up once they left these two sketch shows. Some of them tried to carry on doing TV and movies at the same time. Eddie Murphy did that after 48 Hours came out in the early 80s and was a huge hit, and he very soon found himself feeling too big for TV and went off, made Beverly Hills cop, and proved himself right.
2: That's my problem. I'm too yeah. big for TV. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's maybe, a widescreen TV. Maybe you should lose a bit of then, John. Yeah.
1: Were you in the Beverly Hills Cop set in Beverly in Yorkshire? Yes, yes. yes. <laughs>
2: do, do, do you want to know an interesting Beverly Hills Cop fact? Uh, yes. Before it was Eddie Murphy, um, it was going to star Sylvester Stallone. And when Sylvester Stallone was going to star in it, one of the mooting directors who came surprisingly close to taking it on was David Cronenberg. <laughs> so we almost had David Cronenberg's Beverly Hills Cop starring Sylvester Stallone.
1: The Stallone bit is an interesting story, also in the book. Ah, mm. yeah. Um, Alia,
0: I learnt the dance to Axel F when I was eight. I can probably recreate it at some point. <laughs> do, 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 do. do yep. Hazel's doing it for <laughs> us now.
2: <Yep.
0: laughs> Legs in the air.
1: Yeah, 100% accuracy. Thank okay. you. Dodge the <laughs> um, ping pong balls done. Dodge the <laughs> ping pong balls. <laughs> uh, um so uh yeah, the book starts with them already in show business. Gives a little bit of background on their lives and then just follows them as they go through the decade. Some of their films are huge hits, some are flops, and the way it cuts between the eight of them, the way they meet each other, they collaborate. John Belushi His early death happens quite soon in the book, but the influence of him is felt almost for the entire rest of it. Dan Aykroyd is still using ideas that he'd come up with for him Mm. and Belushi well Mm. into the second half of the 80s.
3: Ghostbusters for one thing, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, Ghostbusters was one of them. So you see how these eight careers either had a standard rise and a bit of a fall or they took strange turns. I mean, Bill Murray didn't make a film for four years after Ghostbusters. Mm Mm-hmm the immediate huge celebrity that he got from it he went off to paris and studied at the sorbonne for six months just to kind of get away from it all Mm -hmm. and then it carries on through the 80s as new stars start to come up after his first film it took steve martin quite a while to really figure out how to maintain a level in hollywood i think he tried all sorts of interesting experiments of films some of them i haven't even heard of Mm -hmm. but sound really interesting And what the book really did for me is made me want to go and watch every single one of these films, Mm -hmm. whether it's ones that are already among my favourites, like the Blues Brothers, Ghostbusters, Three Amigos is a sentimental favourite of mine, whether it's wanting to go back and see ones that I've not seen for ages, like Stripes or Trading Places. And it kind of makes me want to try and find even the not very good-sounding ones just to see what they're really like. Like, Oh Heavenly Dog, where Chevy Chase becomes a dog.
2: Don't. Oh, yeah.
1: also- Chevy Chase has never watched it, apparently. <laughs> also don't watch Spies Like Us. Uh, that, that does come up um, with the Paul McCartney theme song. Horrible. Which was foisted upon them by the sounds of it. Paul McCartney wanted to do the song and they just had to agree to it. But yeah, that's one I've never that's seen. That's not and the it- worst thing about the film. Yeah. That shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it goes through all of the films you've heard of, some you haven't. And You just get really invested in finding out about these people you've watched on screen who've made you laugh so much. And I think certainly for my generation, Rick Moranis was a huge star. Honey, I Shrink the Kids, Little Shop of Horrors, Ghostbusters, you know, Bank Holiday Weekends, there'd always be a Rick Moranis film on the TV. Hasn't made a film for over 20 years now, apart from the, I think, very occasional voice work. But he comes across in the book as just the nicest man in the world.
2: Didn't his wife die? Is that right? Yeah, Yeah.
1: his wife was diagnosed with cancer just after he was cast in City Slickers. Didn't take that part. He did a couple of things after that. I think he did Honey, I Blew Up the Baby, and The Flintstones came after that. But after she died, he became a single parent and focused on his family. Mm. And fair enough to him. 11 years his Hollywood career lasted. Mm -hmm. He says in an interview with Desemblin that he's not retired. He just hasn't had an offer that he really wants to do. If something good enough came along, he would do it. And he doesn't consider himself retired at all. But it's been a while.
2: Aren't they remaking Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? did I read yeah, that I, somewhere? For yeah, For the Disney streaming service, I think, is it at a cinema? But I don't know remake. if he'll have
1: a tribute role in that in
3: some yeah.
2: way. He was a, pretty much the only one that didn't turn up in the Ghostbusters film last year.
1: Yeah, I wonder if he'll turn up in Jason Reitman's one.
0: Hmm.
2: Also, uh, well, Sigoni Weaver gave an interview this week where she said that she's playing Dana in Ghostbusters and she says she's looking forward to working with the boys again. So whether that suggests that there's gonna be more people. That was an awful film, that remake. <laughs>
1: I I quite like it. I, I think Kate McKinnon's really good in it.
2: I hate improving films. Ironically. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, why should you have to <laughs> suffer other people's improv
1: <laughs> as opposed to inflicting yours upon
3: them?
2: Yeah. I, I I just think um, th- those sort of films where they do the weird sort of half improv dialogue and then they cut around it, just
1: yeah. What's interesting is many of the films that are in Wild and Crazy Guys seem to have that element of improv. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Murray improvised the ending of Scrooge, mm-hmm. for example, and the director, which I think is Richard Donner, just kept it rolling and thought, "This is really good. This isn't at all what we had in mind." but it's so good we can't not use it. And there are other characters within the book who improv is just not a thing for. Del Close, the legendary improviser, was brought in to help the cast of Saturday Night Live and Murphy's reaction was, I'm already funny, I don't need to learn that shit. (laughs) So uh, he could have learned improv from the master and didn't need it. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of them did improvise a lot of the famous moments in the films we all know them from. Mm -hmm. But because it's not, obviously done, like I think it is more recently. Yeah. Whereas I think in these eighties films they let them loose on the set and just went with what they were doing. But they were good enough editors and directors behind it to make it good. Harold Ramis, John Landis, and John Hughes turn up again and again throughout all of these guys' careers directing their films. They knew what worked Mm. when it came to comedy.
0: Can I ask wild and crazy guys, any women in there?
1: People do turn up, yeah. It's focused on I I think just because. the the people too. Yeah, it's it's focused on the eight men because Mm. I think they were the stars, and that really was a case of the times. Gilda Radner was in SNL the same time as Belushi and Aykroyd and Chase. She was the only female member of the cast who really took off in a similar sort of way. Carrie Fisher turns up a lot. She's in quite a few of their films, Mm -hmm. and, you know, was together with Aykroyd for a while.
2: Did she leave Dan Aykroyd for Paul Simon? She did.
1: But yeah, the the female presence tends to be in terms of co-stars. Beverly D'Angelo in the Vacation Mm -hmm. series, and the wives of quite a few of the actors do have an impact on their lives. So John Candy married his childhood sweetheart and was with her till the end. Um, Steve Martin and his wife did star in a film together in the very late 80s, early 90s LA story. Oh, Oh, that's a piece of shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One he's very proud of. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> but then she divorced he, him like a year after it came out and you can't she really watch the, it anymore. She saw
2: the dailies. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Martin's got a very weird sense of quality control. <laughs> when Steve Martin talks about his favourite films that he's in, they're inevitably the worst Steve Martin films.
1: <laughs> How do you feel about Roxanne?
2: I hate Roxanne.
1: It was probably his biggest hit for quite a while. Yeah.
2: It was. I like. I like early sequence, I like the jerk. I like mm-hmm. really like mm-hmm. um, the man with two brains. Oh
3: yeah. Yeah, I it's like great that man. one.
1: Yeah, yeah which um, it's interesting because the book also gives you quite a few of the box office figures and quite a few of the films that you would have expected did well because we like them so much. Now, like the man with two brains, didn't mm-hmm. do well mm-hmm. at all. I can imagine that being um, a tough sell. That one. Yeah, one hit was really all it took to keep them going for a while. Beverly Hills Cop was so huge. Paramount just saw Eddie Murphy as money and mm. let him make whatever he wanted. That, for me, years that was afterwards. the problem with his career.
3: Arguably, Prince is a less extreme example of this, I suppose, but when you get in a position where people can't say no to you Dumb or tell you when it's a good idea mm-hmm. that you shouldn't do something, he just had too much power and was able to do whatever he liked mm-hmm. and no one was able to talk to him and say, is that really the best idea? Have you got yeah. something better than that? You know. And that's when he went completely off the rails, I thought.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, things like The Golden Child and yeah. com, um, Coming wow. to America did quite well, but he had a huge falling out with John Landis during the making of that, but brought him back in for Beverly Hills Cop 3.
2: Yeah. He famously said after Beverly Hills 3, they said, would you make another film with John Landis? And he said, Vic moore has got a better chance of working with John oh, Landis again than I have. Oh, that that was terrible. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that was after Coming to America. He said after Beverly Hills Cop 2, if there's ever a Cop 3, you know I'm doing it for the money. and he was and he was so yeah it, it tracks their careers into the 90s but really focuses on that decade where they were making these great films and some not so great films that have lived on beyond them some of them have not aged well but some of them are still bona fide classics now and certainly in terms of comedy you get the impression reading the book they really did change the way comedy was done in hollywood and it hasn't been done as consistently since i don't think.
2: So it obviously talks about the personal life to some extent, but is this like a tell all
1: Yeah, the, the sex and drugs and rock and roll come into it. The list of sources and notes at the end is extensive, so he's really looked into it. Mm-hmm. There are interviews with lots of people who were there at the time. So people like Moranis, Aykroyd, Steve Martin, he's all talked to firsthand, John Landis, editors, friends, mm-hmm. people like that have all contributed anecdotes and stories. It doesn't try and get dark and dirty and really make it sound sleazy or seedy or anything like that. It covers all of the stuff with cocaine habits and John Belushi's kind of fall into overuse and excess. But it doesn't try and glamorize it. It doesn't try and degrade it. It sort of tells it in a just really nice, balanced, even tone. When John Belushi died, it was a huge thing for Dan Aykroyd. It took him a really long time, I think, to get over it. And things like on-set accidents as well. So it does mention the Vic Morrow Twilight Zone movie Mm -hmm. thing with John Landis. Chevy Chase making a film, I think in the mid-80s, had some aeroplane lights strapped to his arms. And he wanted to have padding, but the padding didn't look good. They just turned it on. He was knocked unconscious by the shock of electricity. Wouldn't touch a light switch for a year afterwards (sighs) because of the effects of that. And I think that had psychologically quite an effect on him.
2: He was a lovely guy before that, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> hey,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> sounds great! Can't wait. Yes, yeah, yeah. It? So it's re- really,
1: really excellent book. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody has seen at least a couple of the films yeah. that mm-hmm. come yeah. up in here, okay. so it it just gives you a new appreciation. It makes you want to watch them again. Really, really recommend it.
2: Have you read Wired? I have not. No, I will. Uh, I will dig it out for you. So is why? are is the terms John... of John yeah. here? Mm. And it's written by Bob Woodward, who obviously did All the mm-hmm. President's Men. Mm-hmm. I mean, it talks about the films as well, but that's a real look into like, the slightly seedy, sordid underbelly of what was going on at the time, and it concentrates a lot on John Belushi and his death. But Ackroyd wouldn't be interviewed for it, and the family wouldn't be interviewed, and they hated the book when it came out. And then a few years later, they made a film of it, starring Michael Chiklis. And then after that, Michael Chiklis didn't work for years until The Shield because he was basically blacklisted by Hollywood. And I think Jim Belushi refuses to speak to him to this day. was he in Fantastic Four after that? No, that was after The Shield. All right. So there's a big long gap where he just couldn't work. He was blackballed.
3: Uh, speaking of the excesses of drugs, <laughs> my recommendation... Why are
2: you looking at me when you say that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Says John, putting down the alcoholic
2: beverage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Alcohol, free my friend.
3: Oh, Put that needle down, Full John. of smack, though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my recommendation is the movie Rocketman, which is a biopic of Reginald Dwight and how he became Elton Hercules John. It's been in development for 20 years, initially at Disney. At times it was going to star Justin Timberlake mm-hmm. or Tom Hardy, which would have been an interesting <laughs> choice. It's directed by Dexter Fletcher, who uh, famously recently took over Bohemian Rhapsody after the scandals broke out. It was written by Lee Hall, who's probably still best known for Billy Elliot, which Elton John wrote the music for the stage production of. Feels very like a stage musical version of his life. Characters quite often burst into song, all sung by the cast, or break into a dance routine. I love musicals like that, the way they are like a fantasy view of the world, but it still sometimes misses the mark. Maybe just let down by the voices, not quite having the bite of Elton John's voice. So something like Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting, you just felt it was missing that sort of grit and, and dirt in the voice, maybe. But they did work very hard at it. And I do prefer a movie that takes risks and has imagination, and sometimes maybe gets it wrong, than one that's predictable and boring. And this film made me gasp at its audacity in some places. laugh at the humour, and I was genuinely close to tears in quite a few places in the film particularly how his estranged mum and dad treated him terribly in many ways, emotionally, almost certainly being the reason he's so screwed up for the rest of his life. And his search for love is a constant theme throughout the film. Taryn Egerton's fantastic as Elton. I wasn't that keen on the Kingsman movies, but he was surprisingly great in the Eddie the Eagle mm-hmm. biopic. Mm-hmm.
2: I forgot Elton John was in one of the Kingsman movies, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah.
3: And that's, again, part of the link of getting the thing made. Matthew mm-hmm. Vaughn, who directed it, is one of the producers of this. Sporting cast great as well. Bryce Dallas Howard's almost unrecognisable as the mum. Took me a while to work out who it was. Richard Madden of Game of Thrones and Bodyguard plays John Reed, his lover, and later manager.
2: So this is John Reed, who is also has a decent-sized role in the Freddie Mercury biopic, Bohemian Rhapsody.
1: Played by Agent Gillen, also from Game of
3: Thrones. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. oddly. <laughs> and much more sympathetically in the Freddie Mercury mm. biopic than yeah. in this one. I look forward to him being played by Kit Harrington
1: in the <laughs> next beautiful <laughs> <sequel laughs> yeah, biopic. Probably.
3: But in some ways, the movie feels almost like a love letter to Bernie Tolpin. I mean, obviously, I'd known they'd worked together writing the songs for so many years. They seemed much more friends and close than I perhaps guessed. I thought it was almost done by post for some reason. And certainly when they started, it was just like he was given a bunch of lyrics and separately went and wrote the tunes for it.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, does it delve into how a partnership like that works? Because I've always found that really interesting, how two different people one writes the lyrics one writes the music and how it can come together into one completed whole like the lyricist doesn't have Mm -hmm. any idea of what the music is the musician doesn't have any ideas of lyrics how do they collaborate
3: i think some of it has to be how you feel when you hear what the other person does with what you've created Mm -hmm. i mean there's a bit where you see uh here elton john writing music to his words and he's obviously transported by it yeah
0: it's a bit one-sided in terms of the partnership so you kind of get a sense of how elton john comes up with the music to go co- alongside the writing, but you never get a sense of the inspiration that Bernie had to write the words. Right, yeah.
2: I always thought, until fairly recently, that it was the other way around, because the lyrics, probably because it's Elton John singing them, seemed quite personal to him, so I was surprised when I heard it was Bernie talk that did the words.
0: Yeah, that is true. I mean, what Pete was saying earlier about the songs being used to tell the story, doing a comparison with Bohemian Rhapsody, the songs in that were performed or they were being created in the studio, whereas in this film, They're being used to tell the story, so sometimes there's no reason for him Mm. bursting out into song apart from to Mm -hmm. advance the story along.
2: So it's a proper musical.
0: It does feel like the words mean more in terms of the context of his life at that moment in time because they were telling his story.
1: So you have seen the film as well?
0: Yes, yes, I went to see it yesterday as well. (laughs) By
3: coincidence, separately. (laughs)
0: Separately.
2: In the same cinema, he just, he just, he just <laughs> starts just... out sat opposite ends of refusing to make eye contact. Just
0: pretended we
1: didn't know yeah, him. Is this another one where Hazel goes to a member of the podcast crew and tells them that they don't know her?
0: <laughs> I listened
3: to the last episode.
0: Yeah. Still with Andy, I wasn't on another date. Yeah.
3: Another example of sort of audacious thing they do is there's his first big gig in LA at the Troubadour. He starts to play and they do the old sort of movie cliche of someone's in front of an audience who don't know them. They sort of tentatively play the first few chords and everyone's like, mm-hmm. okay, this can be any good or not, we don't know. And then all of a sudden picks up, he starts playing with a bit more gusto and the entire room all of a sudden sort of turn and instantly he's the best thing ever. And then he, it's like his legs lift off the floor. There's Levitates. A fa- there's a famous photograph of him with his feet up in the air playing the piano where he's obviously jumping. What they've done is kind of made it like he literally floats up off the floor, and then the entire audience as well is transported away, and mm. they're all lifted up off the ground mm-hmm. just for that moment where they're all suspended. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like the bravery of doing something like that. Sometimes it's maybe a little silly. There's one bit where literally he becomes a rocket and shoots up in the sky, which mm. just went a fraction mm-hmm. over that line. <laughs> what did you think, Hazel?
0: I really enjoyed it. There was lots of goosebumpy moments with the songs but i also felt that i wanted to go and give him a hug mm. because Aww. he yeah he he's, he has been treated incredibly badly by people around him oh, he been... certainly
3: thinks he has <laughs> well this is true he, he
0: did produce it yeah there's a lot of kind of bad stuff that happens to him but at the same time some of the side characters such as richard madden's is it richard? john reed i don't think that character was developed as well as it could have been so that when he spoiler alert you know lets him down mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like he should have reacted in the way that he did which is quite dramatic but that was probably the only bad thing i'd have to say about the film it was mm-hmm. you know very creative, very original, and yeah, as if, if a film wants me to go and listen to lots of his songs over and over again, which it did, my success.
1: I've got two questions. Mm-hmm. First one is, do you need to be an Elton John fan beforehand to enjoy it? I don't think
2: so. No. No?
0: I, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, his, his songs are pretty good, you know, mm. but I, I wasn't a fan. I would
2: guess, having not seen it, that you know all the songs that are in it, because they're just... Mm. Mm so culturally pervasive.
1: Yeah. That was another good callback to the last episode where John gets the word pervasive right on the first try. <laughs> <laughs> My second question is for Hazel. As musicals go, how does it compare to Hamilton? Oh, Looking fuck at fuck Peter. Fuck
0: <laughs> Not even in the same stratosphere, no. But we've
1: gone 2 episodes without talking <laughs> about Hamilton, so oh, oh, I missed
0: you last week.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> I was going to go and see Hamilton last week.
1: Wait for it, Hazel. But-
2: <laughs> £220 was the cheapest ticket, and it was a shitty ticket and
1: yeah. the gods. That was the same last time I was in London as well.
2: Had it been a stall seat, I might have gone for it, but just mm-hmm. ludicrous.
0: There is an option to go into the Hamilton Lottery. So the first three rows in the stalls are all £10 a ticket. Mm-hmm. And you can go into the lottery and enter your dates, and uh, you might only have to pay £10.
2: Do you not have to go physically to the theatre on the morning to...?
1: I think it's all done through the Hamilton app. Yeah, ah. which I definitely, obviously, don't have. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I may try that. The thing is, I'm I'm generally in London on fairly short notice, so it's not like I can book. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Worth having a go. Just
0: book just book like months and months in advance, and just find a way to be there through work. Mm-hmm. Just...
2: Commit a horrible enough crime to be tried at the royal courts of justice, but not horrible enough that you don't get bail.
0: Yeah, it's like prison break. You have to judge it exactly right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, with a tattoo of the Victoria Palace Theatre <laughs> on um, across your body. So, would you recommend the movie to anyone or
3: only to certain types of film goer?
0: No, I'd, I'd recommend everyone go and see it. I think there's something in there for everyone.
3: Are you going to see it, John? I don't know.
2: It's a sort of thing that I, I will probably, as I do with Bohemian Rhapsody, catch on TV.
3: Are you going to actually sit and watch it this time, though? Unlike Bohemian Rhapsody?
2: Uh, I try my best, but when you've got like a screaming child in your ear. No He's way to talk about distracted.
0: Louise. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's braver than Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, very much. It, it does delve into a lot of his, as you say, excesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a, a lot I didn't didn't even know about.
2: There was some controversy with the rating in America that they tried to cut it to get a PG-13 or that um, studio it
0: studio wanted. Yeah, that was a problem with it not getting made before because Elton John, as the producer of the film, wanted it to be made as it is. Mm-hmm. And for the past 20 years american studios have been saying no no we've got to tone down some of the film to have a pg rating well, but if the... it was at disney <laughs> yeah it seems yeah. ridiculous yeah. So that was the... one of the
2: problems i had with bohemian maps i felt like they'd very much turned it down
0: which is what has happened in certain countries this film is the first ever hollywood film to feature a gay sex scene in, really? in full in there's, there's not even any willies no willies no <laughs> 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 it's just a it's just you see the sex is that <laughs> really
3: how can that be true
0: Mountain. Wikipedia says.
1: <laughs> so, for, how could for... that be true?
0: <laughs> mm, I don't know. Yeah.
1: How many tiny dancers out of 10 would you give it? <laughs>
0: nine
3: tiny dancers. Yeah, nine. I, I think not everyone will love it. And I think almost I might love it even more the second time because the first time I was being analytical and just trying to understand its
2: world in a way.
3: But i th- yeah, I thought it was really good. Great fun.
2: Speaking of Brokeback Mountain, <laughs> do you see the uh, the woman that, it was one of these things that went viral online and it was talking about people going off and stuff and she said, oh yeah, my husband's got this app that he meets his fishing buddies with called uh, Plenty of Fish. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> and what, what have you got, Hazel? <clears throat> and is it contagious? <laughs> oh. Oh,
0: I, um, I have got something good on Netflix to recommend.
2: No. I refuse, <laughs> I refuse to believe it. Not interested.
0: So it's, a, it's just over an hour long. It's a Netflix special. If you just Australian comedian Hannah Gadsby. Uh, Anyone? Have yes. you seen it? Nanette. Oh, Nanette. Nanette. Yes. Yeah. you all seen it? Yes. You haven't, Peter? I don't think so. Okay. So it was recorded at the Sydney Opera House uh, and released last year. is kind of known for her kind of neurotic kind of very, very articulate comedy. But this is probably best described more as a dramatic performance than a traditional stand-up show. So it begins with kind of her typically irreverent jokes um, and observations about her own life, such as um, when she discovers that she's gay and she comes out to her mother and, you know, about the kind of the world around her as she sees it. And she's very honest, she's very genuine and got a very pleasant, dry sense of humour. But then it develops into a particular direction that you are not necessarily expecting. So, things that she mentioned earlier on in her comedy act, they have a different meaning. So, it becomes something that she cares very passionately about. It's a commentary on today's society and the move towards the alternative right. It becomes very emotional. I think it's a very important watch. And the reason that I wanted to recommend it is because a lot of people should be able to see it but i wanted to talk about the fact that it's not a comedy show because when my, when my sister-in-law watched it i watched it with her she was, she was well i enjoyed the first bit uh, <laughs> and then she was worried about the people in the sydney opera house who would pay to see a comedy gig and it became something else um so please don't go in expecting to see just a stand-up show because it isn't it's much more than that i think i
3: actually have seen this and yeah it, it does a massive left turn doesn't it about halfway through
2: yeah, I think by this point it was fairly well known what to expect going yeah. in. Yeah,
1: because it had been at Edinburgh the year before, hadn't it? People were
2: blown away by it in Edinburgh. Did mm. it win an award? I, can't I remember.
1: think it. I think. I it, think
2: it has. Yeah, it yeah. did.
1: It might It, um, it co won with guy who used to go out with Sarah Pascoe but doesn't anymore and is now known as the person she did her last show about. Yes. But <laughs> is a comedian in his own right, James Robbins. Can't remember. Could be something but, like that. Yeah, I,
2: I, he and Annette.
1: Joint won the award.
0: Yeah. so it,
2: yeah, couldn't get tickets, couldn't get anywhere near it.
0: Yeah. so it, It's very, very powerful. It's uh, brutally honest, and it's well, well worth a watch if you haven't seen it. I hadn't heard anything about it. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So though, when the left turn came, it was just like, whoa. We watched
3: it cold as well. We had no <laughs> idea. And it sort of suddenly goes very dark and <laughs> takes you places you weren't expecting.
2: <laughs> Do you feel it's been devalued somewhat by the fact that she said this was her last show and it was the reason she was quitting comedy and that she couldn't do stand-up anymore because of all these things she talks about and that she's back this year with a new stand-up show.
0: Depends what that's included in the stand-up mm-hmm. show, I guess. But I, d- I don't think she is lying when she says she needs to give up comedy.
2: Yeah, yeah. I just feel like she's in a different place now. Maybe in a different so, place.
0: Yeah. I found another way to tell a story. I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah. a, it's a very important story to be told And she uses stand-up comedy as a medium to tell it so that it doesn't go unforgotten for anyone going through anything similar.
3: But It is unusual to have such a change. I've seen shows where people talk about their depression and all sorts of other things where they weave the comedy in in a much more sort of even way throughout the show. Mm -hmm. And it was unusual to find it depart so rapidly.
2: My recollection is there's very, very little comedy in the second half. Yes, that's right. It very much becomes a straight...
1: Yeah, I think that's what's so striking about it because about this time last year amy had been recommended it and she kind of said we need to watch this Mm -hmm. and it's gone quite well you're thinking this is entertaining this is funny and then it takes that turn and you're almost stunned into being drawn into it and i think the stuff about giving up works within the context of the material in that show whether it's being gone back on or not i think it would have had a slightly different level of impact Mm -hmm. if that sense of it hadn't been in as well because in the immediate aftermath of watching it, I don't think anybody would think, "I wonder what she'll do next." Mm. It felt but completely very genuine. Yeah, I
2: don't, I don't think for a second it was with a view to getting a book deal or a TV show. and no, it, it was
1: absolutely not. But I can't imagine how much it must have taken out of her to do that set mm-hmm. every night. I mean, especially at Edinburgh doing it twenty odd nights in a row.
2: It's interesting, though, like, as, as a mostly retired stand-up comedian, I'm not, you know... you say you're I, like Rick Moranis. <laughs> uh, you're not as, retired, as, uh, they just <laughs> haven't had a good, good enough joke yet. In John's case, he didn't
3: choose to retire.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the most horrible, traumatic thing can be happening to you. And as it's happening, 95% of you are thinking, this is awful. 5% of you are thinking, I've got, no, I've got another two minutes of material here. <laughs> you know, or, you know, it's thinking of the joke, you know, or the, and I, uh-huh. I don't know whether it's a defence mechanism or whether it's just, The way that my brain now works, maybe? I don't know.
1: I think it is. I mean, nothing that has ever happened to me as you know, straight white cis man is on the same level of anything that might be described in the net. But when bad things happen, I kind of lock them away in my head for a while. And then when they come back out of my head, I've turned them into a funny story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not quite repression, but it's something not unlike it, I think. Reframing.
2: uh, Welcome to Nervous Therapy with yeah. Daniel Dawkins. <laughs> <laughs> what, why are you crying? Well, my dad used to say, um, <laughs> oh, no. "Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> Come back!" Yeah,
1: they were drunk as they sold me for drinking money. It's um, <laughs> the Last Jedi reference. I got it, yeah. Thank you, <laughs> Porgs.
2: <laughs> I've mentioned them for ages. <laughs> Is that your safe word?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Pogs. Pogs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, an important watch and a very powerful one.
1: You notice how we took that serious discussion and turned it into jokes. Oh, I see. Mm, Yes. yes.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, uh, John's going to announce he's quitting podcasting now. And in a year's time, (laughs)
2: look forward to my one-man show at the Fringe where I explain what was really happening during the recording of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So how many... (laughs) I was going to say, how many of your fest traumas out of 10? <laughs> how many what? How many of your fest traumas out of 10 would you give? Uh, how many marks out of 10 would
0: you give Nanette? Uh, probably an eight. Only an eight? Yeah. yeah.
2: I loved it. I loved it as a story and I also, as a comedian, loved Obviously, it's a really harrowing, touching story, but it's also a really interesting look into the mechanics, almost, of how yeah. a comedian can work.
0: All right, over to you, Dan, for your quiz.
1: Right. This is my Wild and Crazy Guys quiz based on the book I recently read by Nick De Semlin about the comedy mavericks of the 1980s. Nice. So we've got 10 questions. Some are multi-choice. Some are just straightforward questions. Okay. Uh, so, is it
0: every wild and crazy guy for themselves?
1: Yes. You can pick a comedy star to represent you and you can say their name instead of your own if you like. <laughs> right. Okay. Who, would, who would you be?
0: I... That's going to mess with my two brains. So. Okay, Steve Martin. <laughs> yeah. Slimer.
1: Slimer. Ackroyd. Okay, Acroid, Slimer and Two Brains. Yeah, I'll, yeah, think, okay. I'll two okay. two brains. Yeah. Question one. In which... It's not like I'm going to use yeah. it
0: because I'm not going to know any of these answers.
1: <laughs> Question one. In which famous improv group did John Candy get his start? Ackroyd. Slimer. Ackroyd got in there first. Second City. Correct. Question two. Chevy Chase and Carrie Fisher co-starred in Under the Rainbow about the making of which classic film? Slimer. (laughs) Wizard of Oz. Correct. It was about the hotel that all of the Munchkin actors stayed in. (gasps) Sounds interesting. How debauched they were. I've seen it. Have you not seen it? I haven't. Question three, a uh, multi-choice. Which British comedian was John Landis' first choice for the Denham Elliott role in Trading Places? Was it A, Dudley Moore, B, John Cleese, or C, Ronnie Barker? Ackroyd. Ackroyd. John Cleese.
2: Incorrect. Slimer, Ronnie Barker.
1: Correct. Yeah. Ronnie Barker turned down the role because he refused to take any part that required going more than seven miles from his house in London.
0: <sighs>
1: wow. Question four. What was the original name for Ghostbusters? Was it A, Ghost Killers, B, Ghost Smashers, or C, Still Ghostbusters?
0: Two brains. Two, uh, two brains. Ghost Smashers. Correct.
3: That's a terrible title. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Question five. Which sci-fi franchise was Eddie Murphy very nearly a part of?
2: Slimer. Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Oh
1: very good. Didn't even need the multi-choice there. <laughs> uh, question six. John Candy based his role in Spaceballs on his Labrador Kima. What was the character's name? Was it A Bath? B Snarf, Slimer. Bath. It was Bath.
2: <laughs> oh, I was waiting for the choices. <laughs> <laughs> question seven.
1: How many gallons of slime were created for (laughs) Ghostbusters 2? Was it A, 10,000 gallons, B, 100,000 gallons, or C, 1 million gallons? Two brains. B. It was B. They had a slime lab (laughs) dedicated to making slime. But you don't see Bill Murray in those scenes, because after the first Ghostbusters, part of his deal to return for the sequel was no slime. So the rest of them get covered and he doesn't. Question eight. Which Big Bang Theory star is Chevy Chase's kid in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Is it A, Mayan Bialik, B, Jim Parsons, or C, Johnny Galecki? Uh, character-wise, that's Ac- Amy Acroid. Sheldon and Leonard. Johnny Galecki.
0: It was. He's a child actor, Johnny Galecki.
2: Yeah.
1: Was he in Roseanne?
2: Yeah, for a long time, mm.
1: yeah. Uh, number nine. Rick Moranis turned down a role that was then made famous by Jim Carrey. What was it?
0: Acrooge. don't... Uh.
1: Ackroyd got in there first. The Mask? It was not The Mask. Two brains? The Riddler? It was not The Riddler. Slimer, uh, over to you. Ace Ventura? It was Ace Ventura. Oh. Pet ah. Detective. That would have been a different film. Mm. <laughs> would have been a film? So mm. would The Truman Show with Rick Moranis. Uh, that, would, that would have been good. And final question, number 10. Which A-list actor was offered the lead role in Groundhog Day? Was it A, Michael Keaton, B, Steve Martin, or C, Tom Hanks? Two Brains. Two Brains got there first. Steve Martin. It was not Steve Martin. Slimer. Slimer. Uh, Tom Hanks. It was Tom Hanks. He turned it down and later bumped into Harold Ramis on the street in New York and said, I'm really glad I turned it down. I'm known for playing a nice guy. And if I'd been that character at the start, everybody would have known I'd become nice by the end. But with Bill Murray, you don't know what's going to happen, which I think is true. Mm -hmm. So at the end of that quiz, we have got Peter with three points. Hazel with two points and the winner with four points woohoo it's John
3: hey. slimer
1: you came you saw you kicked its ass slimed yeah <laughs> he has slimed actually oh <laughs> someone
2: oh. sorry about that
1: uh, it's just when he wins isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> happens so rarely. Mm. wearing a Ghostbusters t-shirt in fact I am indeed
0: yeah. I knew my Ghostbusters fact and none others <laughs> none others none others no <laughs> I knew
2: all of them I think. Yeah? Other than the amount of slime, I wouldn't have known. But all the others, I knew, but I just didn't get in quick enough.
1: Okay. You still won. You don't have to make it better.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Fucking awesome is what I'm saying.
3: (laughs) Is there anything really good in the last week or so? Um, no. (laughs) No.
2: I saw the uh, I saw the trailer for the new Terminator film which makes, makes me excited for the new Terminator film. Really? Yeah. Okay.
1: Dark Fate.
2: The the trailer with the uh, Bjork cover version and the exciting action sequence Linda Hamilton back, you know that's that's what you want in a Terminator film. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'm intrigued by old man Arnie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in in that well the, we only get one shot of um in the trailer. Which is them knocking on a door and a Arnold Schwarzenegger answering, but whether it's a Terminator or yeah. not, because he certainly he looks like Arnie does now.
1: Is it a suggestion that he is the human upon which the robot was muddled, or stealing like a line that? from
3: Aliens? In that case, yeah, that was done in Aliens. Yeah. Um, it was
2: also mm. done in um, a deleted scene in Terminator Three, right. where it's Sergeant Candy.
3: Oh yes, don't worry, we can replace the voice. Yes, that's yeah, that's yeah. terrible.
0: <laughs> that's an awful joke. <laughs>
2: I saw a,
3: a trailer yesterday in the cinema, Gemini Man, which is upcoming with Will Smith in. And it's one of these things that on paper has loads of things I really like, like Ang Lee, director I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Will Smith, I've always liked as a genuine movie star. And the plot line, a sort of Looper style thing about taking on your younger self. Again, I like all that sort of stuff. but just...
2: so, so this isn't like Looper in that it was young Bruce Willis was...
0: Joseph Gordon-Levitt.
2: This is a CGI de-aged Will Smith.
0: Yeah, so Mm. I read the um, synopsis. Henry Brogan, played by Will Smith, is an elite assassin. He becomes the target of a mysterious operative who can seemingly predict his every move. To his horror, he soon learns that the man who's trying to kill him is a younger, faster, cloned version of himself. Oh, So
3: it's Mm. a clone rather than a time traveller. And all that sounds like good ingredients, but just the Mm. thing that lets it down so totally is the special effects are just terrible. The young Will Smith is not convincing at all. You can see in every shot that it's a de-aged person. The Marvel movies have been doing so well, you wonder why it should still be terrible. Oh, and, and even yeah. just some sort of stunt work of jumping off a wall on a motorbike. thats just looks terrible. It's still terrible. got a few
0: months to work in it. It's not out mm, until October, yeah. so you never know.
3: There have been a few movies where, when things have been badly received in the trailer, they've gone back and reworked them. Uh, Sonic did they, the <laughs> Sonic. Yeah, Sonic. Yeah, um, they're fixing The, the, the Genie. <laughs> Anyone blue, basically.
1: yeah because i know that ang lee is one of the directors that's pushing forward with this high frame rate 48 frames per second thing Mm. which yeah
3: has anyone been doing that since the hobbit
1: uh yes actually ang lee in his last film Mm -hmm. it was called billy lynn's long half time walk or something like that Mm. which was like a military drama I never saw The Hobbit in 48 frames per second because I heard terrible things.
3: Mm. It was like watching a soap opera. Mm. Yeah,
1: so...
2: It's basically the shit you turn off on your TV when you get it. Mm.
1: Because they made all of the orcs CG in that because the makeup wasn't going to look good enough in 48 frames per second, but it made the orcs look even worse. So I can't imagine the CG in this is going to be improved seeing it the way the director wants you to. Mm. If it it looks bad now, it's presumably going to look twice as bad? But I did see a trailer that I really like the look of oh, last yeah? week. It's Gorinda Chadha's new film, uh, The Bend It Like Beckham director. Yes, I saw and that too. This is yeah. Blinded by the Light, set in Thatcher's Britain. A teenager from a Pakistani family learns to kind of find his voice and understand his family and get through the troubles in his life through the music of Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. And as massive Springsteen fans, we are excited. Because he wrote that, film. didn't he? He did, yeah. The, um, the, the writer of the film... Blinded
2: by the light. That's the one. That Bruce Springsteen, really Approximately.
1: Yeah. Um, It's on his first album, but I think it was recorded by Manfred Mann before they had the hit with it. But the author of the film wrote a book about it and through a long process was able to get Springsteen's approval to use all his music in the film and years and years of trying to get it made. And then suddenly it's happened. It's playing at festivals. It's getting really good buzz and reviews. I can't imagine it'll be one you'll love if you can't stand Springsteen, but if you've got any sense and you love him like I do, (laughs) then it's going to be really good. I'm sure he loves you too. I hope he does.
0: I'm also looking forward to Yesterday, Danny Boyle's yes. new film about a man who, I don't I don't know how it happens, maybe he has an accident and he wakes up bike crash. and um, nobody knows who the Beatles are. So he ends up um, taking credit for all of their songs because they're like, this is amazing songwriting. The,
3: the weird thing is though, isn't this the plot essentially of Goodnight Sweetheart? Yeah. Where Nicholas Lindhurst goes back to World War Two times and well, they definitely haven't heard of the Beatles then. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but, but he basically gets credit for writing all the well, Beatles it uses, songs. it's a um, I
2: not I? Rather than change the world. Mm. It's a slightly smaller ambition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mentioned thought Richard Herring wanted to write a sitcom called Goodnight, Goodnight, Sweetheart, Sweetheart about a writer who finds a portal back to the set of Goodnight, Sweetheart and makes a fortune by writing the scripts for the TV show by just copying them from his DVD box set of the series. <laughs> Right, <laughs>
1: yeah. it d-
2: didn't get made. <laughs> no, bit meta,
1: but yesterday looks yes. really good. And uh, I've seen there's some good TV coming up on Netflix later this summer as well. Season three of Glow is coming back, mm. which
2: oh, Gina Davis, yeah, Gina yeah. Davis, all oh, right,
1: is joining the cast. I could once, see her
2: fitting that world.
1: Yeah, once the gang get to Las Vegas for their live show, the first two seasons have been, I think, one of the best Netflix originals. hopefully they keep up the Mm -hmm. quality Mm -hmm. lots of nice happy uplifting things coming out this summer on big and small screen
2: we've got the last netflix show of the marvel Mm -hmm. jessica jones which i think has
1: just probably been on there for a month or two and nobody's noticed (laughs) it it,
2: it (laughs) appeared the other day with very little little fanfare and i'm a bit sad because jessica jones i liked i think it was my favorite of them yeah, mm-hmm. the first
3: one in particular yeah. was really good. The second one was a bit disappointing, but I was still okay with it.
2: It suffered from a lack of a, a good body. In a the lack that, of David Tennant. lack of David Tennant, yeah.
0: Brad Pitt's making a bit of a comeback in 2019. He's got two Mr. films. Mr.
2: Mr. <laughs> Straight Pride 2019. Yeah, oh, God. Oh. He's,
0: got, no, he's got nothing to do with yeah. that. <laughs> do has has the, uh, he has to be removed. He has to be removed, yeah. <laughs> Um, But he's got Ad Astra, which is. um,
3: To the stars.
0: Yeah, a sci fi thriller set in space where I think he has to go on a mission to stop his dad, played by Donald Sutherland, from an experiment that's gone bad and threatens the solar system.
2: Hang on, Kiefer Sutherland didn't get this part. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Keith Sutherland playing Brad Pitt's dad they're pretty much the same age aren't no, they? No Keith <laughs> Sutherland
2: playing Donald Sutherland's son. Oh sorry yes, yes. Keith Sutherland should have had the Brad Pitt part I <laughs> um, imagine they, they the they audition have... for it said no you're not convincing as Donald <laughs> Sutherland's yeah. Have they been in a film together? I'm not sure they have I think there must have been at some point
0: point. Um, and there's also Once Upon a Time in Hollywood
2: I am oh, so yeah, looking great. forward to that Have you seen the, tra- have you seen the trailer? There's,
0: yeah there's a new trailer that came out recently I yeah.
1: haven't because I heard it possibly gives quite a lot away. That
2: be it's a bit spoilery, yeah.
1: yeah. I don't know that you can necessarily tell that until you
2: see mm. the film. There
0: though, was how uh, much was revealed. So it was screened at Cannes and reviews that came out after that were quite spoilery. So mm. I haven't read those. The trailer mm. itself, I'm not sure. But yeah, it's got a great reception at Cannes, uh standing ovation.
1: Cannes Film Festival's Been and Gone, but the Edinburgh Film Festival is coming up soon. And that's got things like the European premiere of Toy Story Four. And one probably much smaller film that I'd really like to see called Carmilla, Mm -hmm. which is an adaptation of a 19th century novella about a vampire called Carmilla.
2: Oh, I've heard about this.
1: By Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. And Carmilla kind of gets ingratiated in this noble family, basically corrupts the daughter of the family, and not explicitly, but she turns her into a vampire. And it's kind of a reaction to... The Victorian male worry about women, and if you give women power, they will just corrupt our poor innocent daughters <laughs> and things like that so it seems quite a good time to bring that character into a film adaptation. It mm. could potentially mm. be really really good:
2: have you seen anything at the festival
1: we're going to see Ode to Joy starring Martin Freeman, oh. which is I think a comedy but he you plays never a show with Martin Freeman yeah he mm. plays a character who has a condition that means he has to avoid feeling really strong feelings because it makes his heart go all weird or something like that mm-hmm. but then he meets a woman and he starts to fall in love but he can't let himself feel joy and things like that so i imagine it'll have a nice heartwarming ending mm-hmm. uh, but we oh, thought oh, that was oh, oh, like oh, a stopping man. ending <laughs> uh, you are uh, potentially yeah uh but that had quite a good looking cast and again has the potential to be really fun
0: And you said next week your cinema visit is currently between Toy Story 4 and Men in Black International. Yes, Men in Black
1: International already out. Uh, Um, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson together should be, there's no reason why it shouldn't be really good, but all the reviews seem to be saying, maybe you should see Toy Story 4 instead. (laughs) Is that Sporky's voice? That is, is, yeah, Forky the Spork's voice.
2: (laughs) i have no interest in seeing Toy Story 4 whatsoever. Why not? Because my heart is dead. Ah. I can't feel joy. Mm. <laughs> um, no, I think Toy Story 3 was just the perfect ending and it does not seem to be a new The creators one. say
3: they didn't intend that to be an ending to the whole series. They, that mm-hmm. was just the ending to Andy's story. Okay. Yeah.
1: I've read a couple of reviews of Toy Story 4 and they seem to suggest it is very good, but it's not as essential as any of the other three. Yeah, It doesn't quite hit that same level, which is an high extremely bar. high bar. But, you know, if you've made those three films a fourth one, you're running that risk, I think. Pixar sequels generally, other than Toy Story, haven't been better than the originals. Finding Dory was not as good as Finding Nemo. Hopefully Toy Story 4 keeps the Toy Story tradition and not the other stuff. Oh, Monsters University, again, not quite at the level of Monsters, Inc. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, Yeah. it was really good, just not as good, Mm -hmm. I think. Okay, lots to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Good summer.
0: Yes, oh and uh something at the end of the year <laughs> can we
1: talk about the rise of skywalker
2: no oh <laughs>
1: He was bad as the emperor who may or may not be back
0: oh well, he's back right
1: but but in what form is, uh, is it actually him did he survive is he her clone is he a holocron recording is it something to do with that bit of apparently death star but is it a bit of death star that they see at the end of the trailer what's going on
0: I don't know. That's what you brought it up. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, lots of intriguing things. I found myself less fussed about Star Wars than I had been for a, a while before Star Wars Celebration this year. But that trailer came out and did work wonders on me. And now I'm very, yeah. very excited. Pimples. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: Carrie Fisher with a hug with Ray. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah.
1: The only thing I'm not really convinced by is the new droid they've got, Dio. Yeah. yeah. He just looks like a hairdryer.
2: It was interesting <laughs> when they brought him up on the stage at Star Wars Celebration, there was quite a muted response, I thought. It was like, hmm. Mm. Yeah.
0: John, did you not predict the name of the film?
2: I did. Yeah. About a year ago.
0: What, what were your reasons for calling it The Rise of Skywalker?
2: Oh, it's, a, it's the final Skywalker film. And it felt like at the end of the previous film, there was something about to rise, like the rebellion rising up. So you've seen them at the, essentially at the rock bottom at the end of The Last Jedi.
1: Historically, the title has always been up, down,
3: up, down,
2: up, yeah. down,
1: haven't they? Um, Speaking of John's predictions, uh, you famously predicted Black Panther to be Marvel's first flop. I um, did. How do you feel Spider-Man Far From Home is going to do when it comes out? Oh, be- it's, following if, Endgame.
2: I think it's going to drive Marvel into bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and take Sony with it, presumably. Yes. To be then bought out by Disney as well.
2: Disney owned me. Do, really Disney bought me last night, I didn't realise. It turned out I was a Fox asset. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Far From Home may or may not be introducing the multiverse and all sorts of very confusing Marvel things where there are thousands of different Earths, all slightly different.
2: It depends how close we're skewing to comic book Mysterio.
1: Because he's a baddie, isn't
2: he? He's a baddie in the comics that causes illusions and does tricks and stuff. In the comics, he was a Hollywood special effects guy that got fired and then uses his. <laughs> Out Hollywood of the canon, spe- presumably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uses his <laughs> special effects knowledge to create illusions to trick people.
1: Oh.
0: But Marvel haven't stuck to their. If they're a villain in the comics, they're good. Mm. In the, the school's been there. The, the schools, yeah, yeah. exactly, mm. yeah. Yeah, but. I mean, don't
1: know. It makes me wonder how much they're going to deal with the many, many, many implications of the various snaps and unsnaps. <laughs> because. <laughs> The more I think about that, the less sense it starts to make, and the number of problems yeah. that would be in a post snap world. I think this is why they've
3: detached it as much as possible,
1: yeah. and I think it'll mention
3: it almost not at all. Maybe yeah, that's I, why
0: but... they need a holiday. You know? yeah, yeah,
1: I imagine that
0: would much, be the case.
1: Holiday snaps. <laughs> hey, <laughs> still, I think it'll be good if it's as good as homecoming. Mm-hmm. It'll probably end up in my top ten.
2: Yeah, my worry is that if he's abroad for a lot of the time, we're going to get minimal Aunt May. <laughs>
3: Hot Aunt May. Hot Aunt May. How are you know when you're getting older, John?
1: <laughs> <laughs> she the your favourite version of Aunt May.
2: <laughs> She's the uh, compared
1: to Sally Field or that lady from the Tobey Maguire ones for She's whatever <laughs> purpose John chooses.
2: She's the uh, second hottest
1: behind the old lady from the Tobey Maguire ones. Yeah,
2: I'm talking about now. Right, that old lady now. <laughs> I'm guessing she's doing well. I haven't googled <laughs> to check. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Probably not tomorrow, now that you've mentioned her. Yeah, so killed
2: again. Uh, the curse is lifted.
1: Oh, did someone you know? come back to life?
2: <laughs> I th- I thought somebody was dead, and they weren't. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Just in a coma. <laughs> Rosemary Harris. Oh, she's still alive. She's She's. So she's, far, she's at ni- the time of recording, she's ninety-one years old.
0: No.
1: <laughs> oh, I've just had a news. Al- I've just had a news alert on my phone. <laughs> Rosemary Harris, uh, is fine. She's fine. She's oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I thought Dean Stockwell from Quantum Leap was dead, but he's he's still as at the time of recording trying has- to
1: make the last leap home. He's mm-hmm. still mm. getting Ziggy with it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, good rest of twenty nineteen. Mm. Lots of stuff to look forward to. Mm. Lots of
0: stuff to talk about. Not politically. Well, no.
2: (laughs) And unless you're Rosemary Harris. (laughs) (laughs) We love
0: you, Rosemary. Some of us too much. (laughs) And that brings us to the end of another Nerdfest episode. Thank you very much indeed for listening. If you liked us just a little bit, you could leave us a review on iTunes and maybe a little star rating. That would be awesome. That
2: would be very kind. <laughs>
1: it would be wonderful.
0: Yeah, it would genuinely help us out. If you leave us a
2: star rating and then email us your address within the UK, what could go wrong? Right. Uh, Dan will come round and give you a little hug. Is this
1: regardless of star rating? Even if it's like three or something? The higher the Depends rating, the harder the hug. Harder the
2: hug. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Um, And you can also check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. But until the next episode in two weeks' time, you've been listening to...
3: Dan Watkins. A mild and crazy guy. (laughs) (laughs) A man
2: who will watch literally any shit they put on Netflix.
0: And I'm Hazel Burton. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: Do you know which character is based on John Belushi in Ghostbusters? Climber. Climber is yeah, Winston. <laughs> have you seen? Have you seen um, Winston taking himself up the ass? What? What?
1: <laughs> Are you typing in Winston taking himself up the ass? So what we see here is Ernie Hudson um, looking a little older in his Ghostbusters costume. Lots of autographed photographs in front of him. He must be at a convention or something like that. And uh, he's standing behind a pull-up banner of himself posing, arms on hips. And it does, in fact, look like he is <laughs> sodomising himself.
2: Will you like to see Ernie Hudson taking himself up the ass.
0: When, don't I?
1: Here's Ernie Hudson taking himself up
2: the ass. Oh, arse. I have seen that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put that on the uh, Twitter account for anybody who wants <laughs> to not look at that.